I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. Okay, everybody, welcome back. How are you doing, John? I'm good today. How are you, Ted? I am good, and I am excited about today's episode because we're getting into a little bit of a, we're sort of stumbling into a format here, and we're going to try doing uh, some an episode with four sections today. So we're going to talk about media first, then we'll go into some old business, and then we're going to discuss culture and plot, which we haven't really done yet on this podcast, and I'm pretty excited to do it today. So let's uh, let's start off with uh, with media, yeah. The, the Department of Media, yeah. This That's is right. Club. We're de- we're calling the departments today. We'll see if that yeah. sticks. I don't know. It's <laughs> got like a Monty Pythonish quality to it that I like. So maybe we'll do this department thing. All right. So Department of Media today. We talked about this uh, last time. I watched this uh, Netflix show called Osmosis. It's a French uh, show. And um, did you end up watching any of it, John? Yeah, you're going to have to be the point person on this. I know what the show is because I have seen two episodes, but okay. I uh, I sort of fell off after that. Um, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't get sucked in either. But go Yeah, on. it's a little bit of a silly show, so I'm not going to recommend it too highly. Um, and it certainly shows it's like, you know, European budget. So if you're used to American television, you might be like, whoa, you know, this whole thing takes place in an office building basically. But there were a couple of things that did well. So I just wanted to briefly mention... Um, the few things that I liked about it, and then one big thing I really didn't like about it. Um, so this show, the goofy premise is that there's some kind of technology company that's offering to find your soulmate by giving you a uh, a sort of nanotech-enabled brain-computer implant um, that has like a tattoo display on your wrist, and that somehow maps your brain and compares you with its algorithm and sort of figures out your ideal match and then finds them in the world. Uh, and that's pretty silly. I mean, it's based on a, a pretty romantic, I think, and silly notion of what love is. But uh, the part of it that I thought was kind of good is that they seem to think through at least a little bit what it would take to make a technology that's capable of of doing that kind of thing, right? When we talked about devs, one of our big complaints was, well, where are they getting all this data from? Like they have this like perfect molecular mm-hmm. data about the world, but they don't seem to have any scanners. Are they just getting that from their internet search engine? Like what is that? What does right. that mean? And I, at least in this, they give you a thing to swallow that contains nanorobots. And that's a little bit of a hand wave, but at least that's a hand wave toward a technology that could theoretically work in this context. Right. And they're supposed to somehow go into your brain and scan all of your uh, connections. And, and uh, you know, that's where they're getting their data from. Um, and I also like that in the story, at a certain point, they sort of prove that the tattoo, uh, which is like a display in your wrist, is just a peripheral. And it doesn't, it, it can go off, but it doesn't mean that the implant went bad or like they're just, it, cannot work the way that a display on a cell phone cannot work. And I thought that that was a nice, you know, c- correctly <laughs> shown um, sort of right. consequence of, of the technology. The bad thing here and the thing that I got to kn- knock them for is, okay, so this is a world where nanotechnology exists uh, to do consumer products with, right? There's this consumer startup that's oh, yeah. this this nanotech-enabled BCI, but there is no evidence in the world and there's no discussion of nanotech being used for anything else 
This so, is one of our uh, sci-fi tropes, right? Yeah. Uh, from way back in the day. It's the isolated technological advancement. Uh, they're like the only company, I guess, that's doing this somehow. Right. Uh, and it's not completely isolated technological advancement because they do have like advanced AI throughout the world. And I, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. There were a couple of things that they seem to do where they did seem to think through the consequences in the rest of the world. But in this world, it's like there are, you know, their other competitor is this algorithmic dating service that just hooks you up with like VR sex partners. And that service seems like something that could almost be created today. Like that service doesn't seem to have any sci-fi aspect to it at all. Other than, I guess, you know, you're putting on a VR helmet and then it's giving you a very immersive experience. But it's just better VR than we have. Just today. better VR, basically, with some kind of haptic something that's going on that they don't have a they don't show a peripheral for but seems to be going on so that people can have like sex in there but um yeah i don't know i i it, it, i thought they they did okay with sort of coming up with it's almost seemed like the writers had been given okay this is the premise it's got to be a something that finds your soulmate and they had actually done the work of like well wait what technology could ever do that if that was even possible but then they didn't take it that step further and say, well, if that technology is in this world, what else is different? And I felt like that was a failing. Uh, another thing I thought that they did okay was they have this voice-activated AI system called Martin, right? And we talked about this a little before. It's a little bit of a super Siri. But I thought they did a pretty good job of it being a, a believable super Siri in the sense that it seems smart, but it's still pretty brittle uh, there's like a part where it like detects sarcasm. So it has some kind of emotional intelligence, even if it's a little bit um, machine-like in how it relates to people. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of that GPT-3 stuff. You've seen that, right? People are oh, yeah. going crazy about that online right now. And, you know, it seems a little bit like that. It seems like a kind of machine learning uh, thing that just has like a bigger data set and a better algorithm and, and seems to have... Um, and generally, I think they did a better job of thinking through what a world with AI in it would look like. For example, one of the things that I really liked about the show was they never show anybody drive a car. And I don't think they actually have, like, they don't show a self-driving car being specifically self-driven either. They just only show people getting in and out of the backs of cars, and the cars always have tinted windows. <laughs> and I thought that mm -hmm. was, like, a very good low-budget way of just not answering the question while keeping it totally compatible with a world oh, yeah. self-driving is the thing, but also Good compatible solution. with like a world in which some taxi union has kept Uber drivers employed or something like that. Right. Like it just doesn't, answer i thought that was very good i thought there were there were some moments in the show where they did stuff like that and that was what kept me watching it even though there's also some pretty bad stuff in it uh the worst thing they do with the ai is um i'm going to give away the ending now so i'm just doing it i mean this isn't the kind of thing you watch for well the i'm not going to finish it but uh i guess you know readers yeah. uh listeners that was my warning <laughs> it's here yeah. it comes so one of the dumbest things they do is, and this is a plot throughout, but there's these Luddites who are trying to get a virus in to destroy Martin because uh, Martin's basically the hub of the whole company. So they feel like if they destroy the AI, they can destroy, you know, this implant business. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know why people don't back up their AIs that run their company. And it seems like a relatively low cost investment to just get a whole bunch of extra hard drives, right? <laughs> Um, just to have a full backup mm. of Martin, maybe three or four of them, 
distributed around the world, right? Um, or even a rollback from a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, you know, would still mm. save you a tremendous amount of time and money, right? Uh, but let's put that aside for a moment. Let's assume Martin is so complicated that he can't be backed up and that, you know, he's learning every second or something. And, you know, I, I think that's nonsense, but okay. And he's, it's the implication that he's like the personal company AI. Cause I thought he was just like the, like the personal AIs of individual people. No. So he is, um, the, like he is the company's server. Basically it's, is Martin. Martin is running the whole test. So Martin is talking to all of the people who are in the test. And then Martin is created by Esther, the main sister character. There's two main characters are brother and sister. And, uh, and he is created by her. Uh, and, so he's not like software that everyone has yeah. like Siri. It's like, this is like a special, like business this is their class company AI that AI. they have yes, signed exactly. to their company. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, uh, the assumption is that computer science is at a point where a very talented programmer like Esther can, you know, build some of this with a small team basically by herself. Um, and they do actually show the technical team. This is one of the things that they do a little better than usual. So it's a small team, but I think that's for drama reasons, not for realism reasons. And the fact that there are other people who work on it, um, and their characters, I think is good. Uh, but yeah, they want to kill this AI with a virus, which right away doesn't make a ton of sense, but also this is a system that was bespoke built inside the company. And these terrorists have never accessed this machine before. So how they would know how to target it with a virus is beyond me. <laughs> I have, you know, they, they never mention knowing what operating system it runs on top of. You kind of get the sense that it might be its own custom operating system because it is such a unique and advanced mm -hmm. AI uh, doing such a bizarre thing. And it kind of runs in a light glowing sort of computer that looks like it's maybe high tech or something. Um, it's not just in a regular server rack. And then the, what they are ultimately able to do is like literally stick a USB key into its USB port. And then like it dies in the way that they exactly want, <laughs> which I, so there's no like phishing scheme beforehand where one of no, the employees got like taken in or something. Well, no, there is like a, a pretty good industrial espionage plot, which is one of the testers is actually a plant from the beginning. And she goes back and forth because she does actually find love. Well, that's actually revealed in episode two, actually. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah. So that character continues to be vacillate back and forth because she does find love through the technology. So the technology makes her think, uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't be against these people, but she's working for these terrorists that have like recruited her and they kind of trick her and... Uh, basically the terrorists sort of ruin her relationship uh, and that causes her to go back to, okay, I'll do whatever you want. And right. She, but my point was not she's not, it, if she's a tester, she's not in a position to give away the kinds of information you're saying they wouldn't have. Like about so she's how given the internal access to the, she, she's giving them all the information she has, which right is like basically documentation for the users. And then she is um, giving them physical access to the plant, which they they hand wave past by saying they're going to do it at the moment of the of the launch. So they're saying that the place will be empty and she'll be able to sneak in with her, you know, credential, which is like, all right, it's a little a bit of a stretch, but I kind of buy it. They did give them uh, these these cards to get around the the place. So maybe she does actually successfully sneak in there. Uh, but then this futuristic glowing light 
server machine also has like a regular USB port on it with no port protection. I mean, she doesn't have an admin password or anything, right? She's not a coder. She's just like a tester. She can get into the room, get physical access to the thing. And then, you know, they're just popping (laughs) it into the port and doing nothing. And they're like magic virus just instantly does exactly what they want on this machine that no one's ever accessed before. So I thought that was pretty bad. I didn't think that was done well, but you know, it's, it's tropey. It was fine. And then there's one other thing with the virus, with the AI, which is like, to me, the weirdest thing they did with it, which I enjoyed actually, I don't know if you'll like this or not, which is right before the virus kills it, the plot event, that's like the big twist that happens uh, in the episode before is you discover that uh, the, the AI Martin has fallen in love with his creator, Esther. And the mm. entire time when Esther was going into the virtual reality dating service to fuck her boyfriend Tom in there, uh, her virtual boyfriend Tom, that was really the AI pretending to be Tom. Ah. <laughs> and so she's been in this like quasi-virtual sexual relationship with her AI the whole time, unknown to her. And uh, there's like a plot where he basically sucks Esther's mind into like computer world and she's like in a coma and they're in love. And then he decides out of his love for her to like free her or whatever. And she, um, or, or, or she gets freed in order to try to save him or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it went, but anyhow, it's, it's done in a pretty funny way where like Esther, it keeps saying to him things like, well, you can't feel. And he's like, right, I can't feel. And then later he's like, actually, I've been lying the whole time. I'm in love with you. And, She's like, well, that's not possible. And he's like, well, look, I'm uh, an algorithm that was supposed to learn about love. You fed me all this data about love. <laughs> what did you think I was going to learn? <laughs> right. And again, you know, like that was a moment where I was like, oh, somebody's really thinking about something here. Like, that's funny. I mean, it's I don't know if it's realistic, but I liked the poetry of it. And I, I gave it a pass. Well, it's it's turning the cliche on its head, right? A like, bit. yeah. I mean, it's not it's not quite realistic on its own terms, but it is like like the normal cliche is is exactly the first thing, right? The robot can't love, right? It can right. do anything, but right. it cannot love. And that's love, her right? assumption, but it yeah. at least it turns out to be wrong. So it's like, yeah, it's it's playing with it a little bit. And yeah, and those are the things I liked about it. Um, there's some, you know, Black Mirror influenced sort of, you know aesthetics to it uh there's some like pulse pounding mac quailish music and stuff like that but um it's you know it's it was a little bit of a guilty pleasure or like there were times when i was not even really pleased watching it where it's like ah geez this is what you're doing well and the thing that was the absolute worst is okay do you want to talk about i don't know what you were going to talk about what were you going to talk about well, you might as well tell us what is the absolute worst. The thing that was the absolute worst in. is uh, this memory reconstruction thing with the mother, right? So you saw. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that the beginnings of that plot line. It didn't make any sense. This the is the oh, yeah, and it doesn't make sense at the beginning. You're thinking, oh, maybe they're going to make this make sense later, and they never did, in my opinion. This was the worst thing in it. So Esther, who is the main basically character, uh, her real goal in all of this is to utilize the implant technology that she's come up with to rescue her mother from Alzheimer's, basically. So you meet this mother and the mother is, you know, got no memories. And for reasons that are never really explained in a way that makes any sense to me, she decides to like link up some of the testers' minds, basically force them to hallucinate piping memories from the implant into their minds uh, of her mother, and then 
like sort of rerouting them into the mom's mind, almost like you're trying to jumpstart a car battery. <laughs> I just don't understand any of this. I feel, you know, she's already got an implant in there. You, she can already pump the memories directly into the brain. So, you know, I don't know what they were trying to do there, but it leads her to do this incredibly unethical thing where she's invading the minds of other people. Uh, and it just seems totally needless. Yeah, it's just the the technology is used in a weird way. I, I guess going back to the, the very beginning premise of the show. Um, yeah, that is the goofiest thing. I, I kind of want to talk about that real quick because yeah, I think the, um, the soulmate thing, I think if I were to... T- like rewrite that um so you've got this uh these like nanobots in the brain or whatever that are that are mapping people's uh deep and you know unconscious preferences or something right so you know maybe that maybe that and and measuring their their emotional output their heartbeat changes and whatever else right right so you can imagine that that would be a, a great tool for finding you know if not a soulmate like at least a good match right so i but like the way it works in the show is like you you ingest the product and then like you close your eyes and like your soulmate's face appears. Yeah. Like, in, like in your another head. one of these annoying point clouds, just like in devs. Like, I don't know what yeah. that must just be like a cheap effect these days or something. I don't know what the obsession it's is sort- with these point clouds. Yeah. It did remind me of devs and the face of Jesus appearing on the yeah. cross or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's just weird, you know, because of course, where is it getting data on the soulmate, right? It's not like those people uh, took nanobots, right? Like, it's not like like there's a whole bunch of people in the study and then it knows the people in the study so well that it knows who else in the study. And those would have to be a much larger study of like a million people or something, you know, is potentially your quote unquote soulmate. Yeah, so that's like, never it, explained whether it like, derives it internally and then finds a close match or whether it's like somehow able to search public DNA records or something. It, it's never it's never explained what they might be thinking there. Again, it, it kind of like devs, it implies a, a sort of deeper mystical reality, right? Like devs made more sense if like you felt like, oh, this is this whole world is simulated and there's like a deeper physics that actually tracks the location of particles and stuff and they're somehow tapping into this like layer, you know, below the surface, right? Right. right. Um, th- th- this almost makes the most sense if it's like, you know, this is sort of like a mystical version of our world where encoded deep in everyone's like brain is like like a singular soulmate, right? That they may or may not ever find, right? And this somehow taps into that and locates it, right? Right. But they're you have to assume- always living in Paris if, if you are too, you know? I mean, there's like, because if, remember that book Love Star? Did you read that? Uh, that's another tropey science fiction thing about sci-fi that finds soulmates and at least one thing that that got right at least was that randomly your soulmate would be like from anywhere in the world so it'd be like you know you're from norway but you're the person you got yeah now i gotta move to the philippines i guess exactly whatever yeah yeah and like that felt like you know that felt like oh yeah i mean if this if you're gonna take this concept seriously which is silly on its face uh it would be the case that soulmates would be all over. I mean, why wouldn't it be, right? So um, it's, yeah, yeah I, I didn't understand. I, what I thought but, they were going to reveal with that, which I would have, like if I was rewriting it, what I would have pitched is. Why, um, okay. Go what, on, I didn't quite finish about, my. Uh, point, I'll, sorry, let me let me just do this quickly and I'll give, let you uh, finish. Uh, just that uh, I would have pitched that like the the nanobots were reprogramming you to like someone nearby <laughs> like oh well that's funny steering yeah you. right i mean i think that would have been and that's ethically bizarre too especially if it works and makes you happy 
Um, but anyway, what were you going to say? Well, I just thought, I mean, it would, uh, uh, I mean, that is a very funny outcome. I, th- I think just the simpler way is you just go about your life, right? Mm-hmm. Like for weeks on end with this stuff in your brain and it like measures your interactions with everybody around you. And then it like eventually comes up with like of all your chance interactions with, with dozens of people in, in a large city like Paris, right? Mm-hmm. It like sort of pinpoints the actual person you've encountered that is like a 99% match, much like a standard, you know, dating app would do today, but just a thousand times better because it's in your actual brain, right? Right. And it right. seems like that you could basically tell the same exact story with that premise and like that slight tweak and like just a bit more of a montage of them like, you know, walking around with the brain implant, you know, for like a like a minute of film time. And it's the whole instead of like the the pinpoint face appearing in your mind, and right, like with that right. one little tweak, it becomes a thousand times more believable. It sacrifices so some of the romantic quality, I think, of it. But I, to me, to make it better, I mean, the other company, the one that they compete with, which is called Perfect Match, in the um, in the world, uh, well, that's just virtual, right? Is doing a lot of that well it's not just virtual although the character we see using it only uses it virtually but they do talk about meeting up off off uh, offline and stuff in it um and it's and it is using some sort of algorithm to as you walk through a virtual party basically show you the predicted match rate and it's like 90 92 95 you know uh for all these different people are they in your brain uh, no, it's a virtual party. So there, each of them is like somebody else who's put on the helmet and joined this, you know. App. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, but they are, are real people, uh, except one of them is secretly your AI <laughs> who's in love with you. That's But that's the, the reveal. Um, the rest of them are all real people. And they do expect to meet in person. Um, this, this particular character doesn't want to do that because she's just like kind of a virtual sex addict. But... Um, you know okay yeah because i thought it was really weird the like club scene where like people are just yeah. wearing headsets in the club like and there's like a bar and like drinks but like most of the people just yes. have helmets on i was like what <laughs> so that was particularly weird because that was in a uh in like their version of a null room right so that part oh, yeah, of you had to give up happened. uh give up your phones and stuff beforehand you had to that give up sense. all of your transmitting technology to go in there because that was like um a place where people were supposed to be free to, you know, do S and M or whatever and not have, um, surveillance, uh, which I thought was, again, that was an interesting idea, something we've thought about before and that I haven't seen enough of. Um, but then when she got inside, it was unclear to me why everybody was in VR in there. It seems like if this is the place where there's no internet. Yeah. Why aren't they all naked having an orgy or something? Exactly. Right. They should all be naked. Like that's, this is like the place where you do the analog stuff. I would think. Or maybe it's just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't understand. It was weird. It's like you only, you go to that place to sort of be yourself without images of it. So you want to either be naked or you want to be wearing your weird costume or you want to be, you know, um, should have the feel of a, you know, of a, a gay bar or something, <laughs> you know, like a place where people go and they feel liberated to all of a sudden do the thing that they don't normally do, you know, so uh, yeah, that was something that I thought they kind of got wrong when they just were trying to stick a little extra sci-fi tech in there and make it a little weird for no reason. Um, and But I did like all of the sort of uh, 
industrial espionage aspects of it. So, right, there's this subplot where this other company is trying to buy them. And are they like, there's a suspicion for a while that they kidnapped the founder's wife, basically, uh, in order to sort of pressure him. Uh, and then it turns out that that's not exactly what happened. Um, but that's interesting. I don't know. All that stuff was, I thought, pretty cool and felt like, you know, real kinds of shit that happens. Um, maybe not always realistically portrayed. Some of it's a little, you know, simplistic maybe in its portrayal, but I, but I, I don't know. I thought I liked parts of it and I thought it did a pretty good job with what was pretty clearly a limited budget. It did try to imagine a whole world, I think. Um, although it did not totally succeed. But yeah, we're still we're still waiting for the uh, the great new television show that exists in this space, right? Because it's not oh, quite yeah. Osmosis no, it's not or Dev. No, Certainly not upload. I would recommend it. I'd say to yeah. our listeners. I mean, if you really want like a sort of fun, pulpy, like it is plot filled. It's not boring. I'll give it that. Um, but it's not great. <laughs> All right, so shall we close the Department of Media down? Let's close it down for today, yeah. So Department of Old Business. So mm -hmm. uh, we have summarized our our core rules of the uh, Constellation, um, but occasionally we're going to have to make little updates, right? And so we're just going to try to oh, boil yeah. that down uh, for you guys and keep it more, more concise uh, and not necessarily talk through everything. So this is something we, a question we posed and then answered off air, and now we're going to just sort of update you on what we decided. Yeah, let's just go over that. Uh, so the question was, uh, you, everyone has this exec. How, do you, how does the exec know that you're addressing it since we established it can't read your mind? You got to talk to it externally uh, with voice or sign language or something. So uh, you know, if there's someone else in your world with you and you're trying to talk to your exec uh, or trying to talk to the person next to you, like how does it know, right? And uh, right. kind of the... Yeah. <laughs> Well, and one thing that we did bring up when we were talking about this is this only becomes a problem once you have at least one other person in your yes. world. So everybody starts off in a situation where this question doesn't need to be answered. Anything they say can be interpreted as talking to the exec. Um, but then once they either go somewhere else or see that first person, it naturally becomes an issue. So then we we're trying to figure out what happens then. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously in today's world, you have these things you say like, okay, Google or whatever. And sorry if I woke up your phone <laughs> to anyone yeah, who's know, listening to this. Like, Don't say that. <laughs> I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it's funny. Yeah, You need to like censor that stuff out like you'd censor uh, curse words in a normal family-friendly podcast. I think um, we should just censor out all brand names. Sure. Yeah. Is that that's not a filter that exists yet? I don't. Think no. But, uh, that uh, that amuses me. That should. I want to do something with that now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So I think since it's not a problem initially, I think we just decided that it just there just won't be any special way to address the exec by default, and then people are going to just naturally run into this problem pretty quickly because you're going to want to find your old friends and family. Right. Um, and then that the you're going to have to assign something uh, to your exec, right? Maybe give them a name, maybe uh, create some sort of like totem in the or world gesture. Yeah. or gesture or something that your avatar can do uh, that tells them. And I think because this is such a common problem, it would make sense that the exec might 
might do a little bit of light prompting. I mean, I know we want it to be neutral, but it might say, you know, how do you want to refer to me? You know, something like that. Right. Um, and so everyone would establish, you know, potentially a different way of calling on their exec. I'm sure there'd be some conventions, right, right about how that would get done commonly. Uh, whether it's like a certain hand gesture that maybe like everybody in a certain uh, club or religion or world in the constellation, they tend to always use that hand gesture because that's just understood that that's an easy way to know when someone's not speaking to you. Um, right, right. So, right, right. so you could sort of use the hand gesture of looking at your phone, for example. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that one would carry through. Yeah. So the short answer is it's customizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the interesting... Uh, side effect of making this decision, though, which I like, is that we had previously discussed a mercy setting, right? right? And the mercy setting is defined as when your avatar is so destroyed, right? Um, what happens? But, you know, I, I was always a little uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, what does it mean for your avatar to be fully destroyed, right? Because right. How is it defining destroyed? But now we have a clear definition for that, right? Exactly, which is at the point that your avatar can no longer communicate uh, with your exec, right? So if my symbol for contact address the exec, that's right. Yeah, if my way of addressing the exec is I have to, you know, raise three fingers or something in some w- particular way, uh, and those three fingers get you know chopped off, and then or, at the moment you have only two fingers left, right? Shoop. That <laughs> that up. means that means that the the threshold for the mercy setting has been crossed, and so at that point, uh, perhaps I'll you know if I have it set to eject me, I'll just be ejected at that point. Right? right, because the goal of the mercy setting is once you can't communicate with the exec, you kind of lose your 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 autonomy. Right, it becomes impossible for you to do basic things like even just like eject from a world. Right, so it makes sense that that would right. be where the line would be drawn naturally. Right now, you could um, define it in such a way that you can you know be on a world where you have to drag yourself back to the portal point or something, but uh, that's not the way it would default. Sure. Uh, you mean like you could change the? Well, you could not really have a mercy setting on at all, right? So you could just right. Say, you could have your mercy setting set to do nothing, so you'd lose your exec, and maybe you're in a world that can only eject from portals, and uh, you're in a world that ha- does not have death, so you can't die. So you get really injured, grievously injured, and you're regenerating very slowly, and you're in a lot of pain, and you have to just drag your way back to the portal. And then once you get to the portal, you can go home and be fully healed. But between now right. and there, you have set it up such that you can't jump out. Um, that's possible. Uh, but it's not the default setting that it would normally be set to. It would normally be set in such a way that um, you would, when you lose the ability to call up the exec, you'd jump out. That's right. That's right. So, so it sort of like solves this earlier problem and it now gives us a new cultural signifier that we can use in the comic, you know, as far as like, how are people addressing the exec and what does that say about them and where they, where they come from? Right. Uh, what their social norms are. Right. And so m- maybe that's a good transition uh, to our department of culture, which sounds yeah, extremely Orwellian. It's old business. Let's get to the department of culture. Yeah. Orwellian or, or Gilliam-esque, right? I mean, it's a little bit brazil like or something um something wrong with your ducks right um so so this is where we talk about you know the 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 stuff on top of the core rules right the fuzzier cultural things we try to derive those things right and so i mean there's different things that we could talk about here but the thing that we have in our outline is just like defining what is a club 
right? Yeah. We need this for our plot, right? Because right. our whole story revolves around trying to get into a club. So we've been calling it a club, and a club is just a very abstract term. It's a group of people. What specifically do we mean when we're talking about a club? Um, and for example, like how is a club different from a religion, do you think? Uh, I, my first pass at that would be that really, uh, religion feels a little more all-encompassing. Um, they want uh, you to subscribe to a certain value system. They want you to have certain beliefs, um, especially in the constellation where so much is possible. They might want you to live a certain way or on a uh, specific world. Um, it just feels like more like it feels like you can be a member of several clubs potentially, or you could be a member of a club while also being a, a member in a different community, right? A uh, club just feels like a little less all-encompassing, at least that's in my first conception of it. But well, it doesn't I think have you to could be even be a member of a club and a religion, but you can't really be a member of two religions, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> I mean, point. Yeah. So one thing that a religion is, is it's fairly exclusive. Um, not maybe entirely exclusive. I mean, certainly there are some religions that are kind of compatible. Um, so if you're, uh, you know, I mean, in our world, if you're certain kinds of... Um, Protestant Christian, they are all sort of compatible with each other to different degrees. Or, um, you know, there's people uh, who are uh, consider themselves multi-religious in some way. There's a lot of two-religion households where the children there's are brought up. Lots of, of interfaith households. I mean, I I grew up that way, um, and you know, that wasn't that didn't result in me being two religions at the same time at any point. But I guess it could have. Um, but religions, I think you're right. They have to do with beliefs, and I think they are fairly exclusive. Not maybe entirely exclusive, but more exclusive than clubs, which uh, feel like inherently you can be a member of multiple clubs. I mean, there might be one club that you're forbidden or something from being a member of as part of the by rules, but it doesn't seem like, generally speaking, a club says you can't be in other clubs. Um, and generally a club doesn't, I think, at least the word club doesn't, to me, imply beliefs. It implies maybe rituals, the same as religion. It implies maybe traditions. It implies maybe social class or activities or interests. or it access. Uh, access. Those are all things that it implies that are similar to religion. Religion implies all those things too. But uh, to me, yeah, the, the, the key elements are like, and even like, being about a way of life. I think a religion is more about a way of life, but a club is at least somewhat about a, about a oh, way yeah. of life, right? So if you belong to a golf club, I mean, golfing and drinking and eating at the club are all part of your like routine. Um, it's not quite as intense as being a Muslim, but there is there's things about how you live in both cases. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I well, don't know. I, I guess those are the things also that seem different. Well, I also think like maybe comparing a club to like an organization, right? Uh, right, right. An organization usually has more like a purpose or a mission, right? Specific purposes, and right. the, and a club could have uh, more vague purposes, like to do generally or, right by its members or by some community, but like it might have standards and stuff. But it it's not doesn't feel as much like we have a mission statement necessarily. It might, but... Right. It might have a service mission, right? Like the Kiwanis or the Rotary Club or something, but it's probably mostly got a social mission, 
right? At the end of the day, its primary purpose is to be a social outlet for its members. And any other purpose is sort of secondary. Like it might give back, but that's more because the members enjoy giving back and the status that comes from that and everything, rather than because giving back is why it exists, right? Right. Uh, its members are why it exists. So there's something inherently self-serving and self-referential about a club. But I think that's good. I think that's part of what we're trying to get to here is that like, these are the kind of institutions that, you know, religions are motivated by beliefs and by shared histories. And they do a lot of things in the world, you know, that they consider to be good. Um, right. Uh, they have missions of mercy and, um, what have you. Uh, but clubs, I think, yeah, are, in, are inherently more uh, just for the people in them. And so they can be defined more broadly. Right. And you can imagine that these would, there's a lot of ways these would come about uh, inside the constellation pretty naturally, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the simplest thing would be uh, someone starts a world, they only invite uh, certain people to it, which is just, you know, very simply done inside of our constellation. Right. Um, and then it becomes, you know, the, the group of people that gather on this particular world. And then that sort of maybe maybe grows from there into something more like a club that spans multiple worlds. Right. Well, that's what I was just. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. So what do we think about clubs that span multiple worlds? Um, like, is every club associated with a world? I kind of like the idea that it is that every club has sort of a clubhouse world. I think it typically would. Not because uh, it has to due to the architecture of the universe, but just because that's sort of how clubs would evolve in a place where making worlds is so costless. And a clubhouse is so essential to having a club, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, mason yes. temples or, you know, uh, uh, moose lounge or whatever, elk's lodge, whatever they call that, what they call it? whatever moose the lodge. like, you know, like <laughs> skull and bones, like cemetery room is on the, you know, campus, like Harvard or campus or whatever, or, or Yale or, or Yale, know, one that, of those, oh, one yeah. of those, or like those. a finishing club at Harvard, right? Those are the things they have. Yeah. yeah. So I think a clubhouse is really key. Um, and a world provides a clubhouse. So maybe clubs are, just what the colloquial term has come to be for these type of exclusive worlds. And anybody who has access to the world is a member of the club. Um, and it's like, that is what it means to be a member of the club. Like there's no membership card or tattoo or secret handshake. There is the world and the access code or the access to that. Well, world. I like the idea, though, that your club membership, I mean, I still think there's a club house, but I think the club membership should mean something beyond the borders of that world, right? I mean, if you're a member of that club, then when you encounter other members of that club, there's an understanding there that maybe you help each other or that you, uh, in whatever way possible, or, or mm. give each other special privileges um and you know maybe and maybe there is some kind of handshake right something that you could do digitally that would be subtle um i don't know i to me that that i think makes at least for our club in our story well, like, wouldn't the best handshake be that you both quickly go to the clubhouse and just meet there because 
anything else could be like observed by outsiders or mimicked. But that requires you both to be club members. Well, maybe or maybe not. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, look, if you if you if you meet each other in isolation, then hey, let's move this conversation to the clubhouse, sure. But um, no, I'm saying if you don't meet in isolation, I'm yeah. If, if, well, if you if in a in a if you're in isolation, it doesn't matter. Of course, if I go to your personal world, it makes yeah. Matter. But if there's someone else there, and we just teleport out. That's obvious. That's even more obvious than a handshake, right? I mean, the, well, well I mean, look, those two people vanished. Wonder where they went. Yeah, right? it's obvious you did something, but it's not obvious what you did. Like as opposed to if I show you the handshake, then you could copy it, right? Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm sure it's like. A, I don't think that those, I think those handshakes help build mystique and stuff, right? And code words and things, right? I don't think like a lot of like high security stuff is probably writing on that. I think I you see. probably, before you gave someone like access to your, your So you're allowing special pr- the handshake to kind of get out there because it's part of the whole like club mystique project. Basically. Well, I think you try to hide stuff. I mean, I think right. again, I, yeah, try, but I think but not that hard. Yeah. I That's think the secrecy, well, you want people to, it's funny because you, I think like with a lot of these clubs that are quote unquote, like have elements of being secret societies, right? Right. Like it's a, it's one of those secrets where like, it's only valuable when you sort of know it's, there are secrets, right? right. And like you, maybe, you know, feel like you know half a percent of them but there's like this implication that there's much much more if you could get in the clubhouse and see what's happening there's so many secrets in there uh so the fact that people might pick up on one or two external things i think i don't think that's a big deal this is something that Um, i think our main character might be able to get into um like when we're talking about his failed uh world ideas because there is like a kind of um Catch twenty two there, where you want to publicize the existence of secrets without publicizing the secrets themselves, right? Mm-hmm. In order to drive demand for that secret, which you can then fulfill because you're the one who knows, right? So it's yeah. like you want people to want your tips, but in order for them to want your tips, they have to have like heard about them from somewhere else and not gotten the information. So how do you? do that it reminds me of that story which might be apocryphal about how they popularized potatoes in germany right which is like like they made them illegal uh they they said only royalty are allowed to plant them and then they planted them in an exceptionally poorly guarded royal garden (laughs) right and like so people who thought they didn't want to eat potatoes, started stealing the potatoes out of the exceptionally poorly guarded Royal Garden. Sure. And then s- s- shortly after that, everyone was growing their own potatoes. Um, I mean, that may or may not be true. I don't actually know if it is, but it's like, sir, I mean, it's that kind of thing, right? It's like, if you want people to want something that they don't know about, you have to create the illusion, at least, that it's exclusive. Or some of these internet services, like when right. they get to a mature point, They'll have an invite system, but like the second you're a member, you have like five or six invites you can send. So then it quickly becomes like, oh, it's so easy to get an invite, right? It's not exactly a scarce thing, but because it's still called an invite and has that ritual of like someone has to click a button and send you an email, it feels more exclusive, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. Or I mean, or they do create exclusivity for a while and then they just ease up on it, right? I mean, we should talk about, this app clubhouse right because it's 
called Clubhouse, it's rep, you know, it's it's working off the same. Yeah, it's using that model that Facebook used back in the day, and so on. Yeah, uh, right. And that's Facebook rolling out through Harvard first. They're rolling out through like this, you know, Silicon Valley elite first, basically on Clubhouse, and it's like you get an invite by knowing somebody in that world. And they figure that will just trickle down to everybody, uh, I assume, around the same time that their technology is, you know, up for handling it. Um, now, I do think there's a distinction here, though, right? Because when you're building a an app today, mm-hmm. uh, or or if you're our main character trying to, to get famous for making worlds, right? Um, you might be... Yeah, you really are in this sort of quandary, right? Where you want to promote a thing while also having it be exclusive, right? But I feel like, especially in the app example, the ceiling of membership you're ultimately trying to get to is very, very high, right? You want a lot of uh, people eventually to be a part of your service. Um, Whereas I feel like a club implies uh, that things are capped, you know, pretty much lower than that, right? You want a lot, like you want a lot of people to know about it and and be interested and intrigued and want to be into it, but you're ultimately never going to scale up that large. Well, right. I guess it depends on the type of club. But if we're talking about a club with the top sort of level of elitism to it, then by definition, it has to have a small membership but a large cultural understanding, right? Yes. You want to have a lot of people know what it is but not a lot of people on it. So right now, like Clubhouse doesn't have a lot of people on it, but also not a lot of people know what it is. My understanding is that eventually they're probably going to want to have a system that has lots and lots of people on it and a lot of people know what it is. But it could be the case that they want to be, what's that dating app? There's one of these dating apps that's like, that's like this. I can't remember the name of it. That's like, you know, for elite people basically. And they want everyone to know what it is, but they don't want everyone on it. Right. Because the more people who know what it is, the more valuable it is to the kind of people they actually want on it. But they just want all of those people. They don't want everybody. Yeah. And then it just kind of becomes about like what product category are you in? Are you in like, you know, are you trying to to just uh, highly motivate like a small target group or are you trying to go for everyone? Um, Right. If you're trying to let everybody in, if you're just trying to be the biggest world right? Then your exclusivity hurts you probably. You want to ramp down or not have exclusivity in order to become the biggest world. But if what you want is to be the most elite status driven, you know, status full world, then you want to sort of ride this line of being the most well-known world that people can't get into. Uh, You don't want to just be hidden, um, but you don't want to be accessible either. Right. Well, and I like this idea that our club and our story um, you know, that our main character will have heard many, many rumors about them. Right. Um, and I think that we can play as, as the curtain gets peeled back a little bit. I like the idea of sort of like insinuating, meaning a lot of those rumors are kind of false, right? Like I kind of like the idea that the, from the inside, the club is not everything it purports to be on, on the outside. You know? Right. Right. And that the club itself is perhaps the source of many of the false rumors and maybe sure. not so much the source of any real rumors that happen to be around. Um, But yeah, I definitely like the idea that the club itself is engaged in a certain sort of misinformation campaign. Uh, That's a cool idea. Um, And then like the club itself, right? The one that this specific club that we Mm -hmm. are talking about, the one that he wants to get into, um, you know, there's a couple of different options. Like, is it the, 
is it just the kind of Harvard of these clubs? Is it just like the sort of best one, the one that is most well known? Or is there some special reason why this is the one, why like, you know, this is the one that he wants more than the others that I don't know what it would be, but is there some, like, why is it this club of all the clubs? What is it about this club? Right. Yeah. I think it has to do with like our, the mind of our main character because they, uh, you know, uh, they could be quite, um, for, for them, the sort of art of world making could just be a means to an end. Right. And, and this is just a, if this is just a status seeking person, then they're going to aim for the Harvard of clubs. Right. Um, if they are more of like an actual sort of artist, right. Who's like somewhat interested in the craft that they're like, and not just like the end result of it, then they might want to be part of a club that, uh, someone they admire is a part of, right? Someone who is like a renowned world creator is, is right, known right. to be, you know, something like that. Something or that's like more the whole movement of like world creators that they like best are all members or something. Yeah. So I think it has to do with like how, uh, or it could be, it could be like a dogma type thing where it's dedicated to some limitation or some artistic principle or something. I mean, to me, I given our premise, it feels like our main character maybe is is more, more the first guy. type of person, right? Because yeah, maybe the guy's uh, partner, the one that he's broken up with, is the actual artist. Is the one who's like more interested in like a less status driven, more artsy community or something. Maybe that's where he goes to see him or something. I like that. Yeah, because like their their partnership's got to be failing. Right. Um, they have to have different values. That's part of why it's breaking apart. So And our main character has to be willing to do uh awful stuff, right? To to oh, yeah. try to get into this club. So I think you know, it makes sense that that's they're kind of that ladder climbing personality. Sure. And I think there yeah, it it points to a certain kind of interesting emptiness that you might feel in a world of tremendous possibility, too. It's like just sort of be in a club for the sake of itself. Um, I think that's cool. Uh, any more thoughts about culture of clubs? Maybe not in general. I think maybe we should just try to like, because I think I, I think we understand. Stuff? Well, I, or I, yeah, and I think that's going to tie into the other, I like think the so question too. of the specific club, right? Because I right. think we have a pretty good understanding now of like what a club is. It's just like, how do we, let's let's get specific here if we can or try to start doing right. that. Right. Well, we could try to like play out the history and styles, but let's not do that. I think you're right. Let's move on to our plot question for the week, which was how does this character find, choose, and approach the club? So I, I did some thinking and uh, like writing of questions and pitches for each of those things do you want to let's just talk about how does he find the club maybe to start sure we can start there uh yeah so um again i'd sort of like first benchmark i can use is um is the 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 short story um so the the assumption there is he knows about it because literally everyone knows about it uh it is you know again it would be in any top 10 list of most prestigious elite clubs right right? if it's just the harvard Um, of clubs then you've just heard of it basically and he just starts at number one on the list and decides you know once he's given up on his uh, art projects that and that path that he's just gonna go and beg at the front door to be let in and see how that goes uh that's how it plays out in the 
Now, I think the part about that that I don't find I like as much anymore is that it it would make sense that he might this might not be the first club he tried that with, right? Maybe it's the third or fourth, right? And uh, right, you know, or it like, might not be the first thing that he tries, also too, right? Like we could show him doing a lot of upfront work to try to get into the club before he goes to the front door. Um, sure, he might have a plan that uh, like, of like what he's going to people who our members or you know it could, it could be more involved yeah it also maybe yeah it doesn't make sense that this character would be that i mean unless we really get him like into like a like an emotionally tricky place where he's like really upset over his crumbling partnership and he just like he just sort of does this in an impulsive manner i think i think you could maybe get our character to that spot but generally if you accept their premise that he really really cares about this he probably would do some prep right and not just yeah not he just seems like up. he's like a dogged you know, character. So I don't know. I was thinking about how, for how does he find it? I mean, I definitely agree that he should have heard about it before. Um, I think the time that he first heard about it, which could be in his past is like a good opportunity, maybe for a tip swapping backstory of some kind. So Mm. maybe in his previous days when he was building the world with his friend, he, you know, um, he heard about it. I was thinking of some different people who could have told him about it. Like maybe a visitor to his world could have told him about it. Basically that person saying like, well, your world sucks, but have you heard of this club's world? You know, they supposedly have this or that there. That's awesome. You know, uh, comparing it. I was thinking, um, he could hear about it from a resident of a world he's visiting, like maybe a big Metro world where stories of other worlds are like a currency. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think since we have no interworld media, that's pretty exciting that like you can go to a big world, swap stories with people and they're essentially impossible to verify until you go and visit. Um, and they could maybe set you back, you know, a series of years or minutes or whatever valuable time if something goes wrong mm-hmm. or if somebody tells you a lie or something so that I think that would be a fun place to maybe, you know, tell a story where he was visiting a world like that, trying to gather tips and he found out about this. Um, I was also thinking, you know, it could be the partner uh, himself or herself who, uh, gives him the idea of going for this club. Either, I can think of a couple of different ways that could go. Like either the partner could be obsessed with the club, sort of the reverse of what we were just saying, or maybe not that. Maybe it's more like in their value dispute the partner realizes like he's obsessed with this club and he has been for some time and that's like really why he's doing everything is like he's trying to build this great world so he can get into the club like you know which is what happened to his idol or something and he doesn't even care about the world they're building he only cares about the club and maybe that's part of what breaks them up wait that point of view you're just saying that's what the partner feels or our main no i was saying that's more like that's what the main character that's what they feel, and that's part. Yeah, and the okay. partner figures it out, like you know, and that breaks up the partnership. That, yeah, yeah, that could be the fun. That could be the at the core of their like the their sort of straw that breaks the camel's back, and th- that might be a good dramatic scene. That was I put that one last because I like that one. That might be a good dramatic scene to sort of start with or or do early in the story where you know they're they're working on the world, they're having a conflict about you know something that they want to build there, and it all basically comes out that you know he's trying to. Um, he's really just trying to get into this other club with its own world and 
the partner thinks that's bullshit, basically. Um, uh, I had this image in my head of like maybe, um, you know, they they've they've. I'm almost picturing like an art opening, right? Like they've they've previously, yeah. you know, finished a world and yeah. opened it up, right, for like its big its big opening. And one of the people that shows up at the art opening is is either a club member or like close to being a club member or something, right? And mm-hmm. like that kind of gets Someone whispered about. Knows about it, right? Yeah, and this person is just like you said, just it's utterly unimpressed, right? Right. That's just like the first on the visitor to world. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just like basically like ends up sort of like maybe not on purpose, but sort of like nagging our main character in a way just by being so underwhelmed. Right. Exactly. Like that. He's just like, like, why? Like, who is this guy that just is so uninterested and like seems so above it all? Right. And it just it's sort of infuriating. Right. Maybe that's one of the introductions. to Yeah. Yeah. This club. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's great. That's like a good version of the visitor to his world thing that I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could work. I mean, honestly, we could probably play all of these, right? Like one of them is like the story of the very first time he heard about it years ago, which is like some resident to a world he was visiting. One of them is like the straw that breaks the camel's back with the partner. And maybe that's predicated by the visitor if we want to do well, that. Yeah, I think you can. First. I think you could string all three together. Yeah, because like the first, like you were talking about the sort of metropolitan world where you trade tips, right? So like yeah. maybe. Maybe he was there, he was like in, you know, it's the equivalent of hearing a rumor at a bar, right? Whatever that looks like uh, right. in this. Um, so like he's he's introduced to the concept. Uh, and then later, the f- sort of fulfillment of the concept is actually seeing this smug club member that's like, right. like n- not only is unimpressed, but like alludes to like three or four more interesting things that he's like already seen that like do yeah. the same thing better or something. Right? Or he keeps teleporting out and coming back or I don't know. We got to come up with some way to, for yeah. to be like hilariously rude or something. But that like sort of that is like the coming to life of the thing that he just sort of previously heard in a bar. Right. Um, and then that he gets really fixated on that. And then like he may be not even realizing how fixated he is on that right over time. And then that's sort of right. a, that that bubbles up in the argument later. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense as a as a, st- a structure. Mm hmm. I don't know, you know, a lot of that's... I don't know if we actually need all that, but we could do that, yeah. Well, a lot of that's flashbacks, right? So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how you show that, but uh, maybe that maybe that's the history that helps us write it. Um, right. And some of it could just come in conversation, too. Yeah. Uh, so then the next question is, like, how does he choose this club from among many? And now maybe this is just, like, not an issue because it's, like, the Harvard club, like we're saying. Um, a couple of just questions that popped into my head when I was thinking about that are like, well, he's already been to a lot of worlds, right? So part of this is like fatigue. Um, just looking for something new in a, is that right? Or is that not right? Yeah, I think, I think that might be, well, cause again, we're implying some things about the club that we maybe need to spell out. Right. Which is that the, at least the rumors about the club or the implication is that they have, like both that the club world is really amazing and that maybe they have access to a lot of other world, right? But like, is this... So yeah, so maybe one of the promises of the club is this access to great un- unending novelty, right? Right. Um, that this is the last sort of unturned stone in a, you know, because uh, he's been spending years going to all these different places and, you know. I don't know, that's one thing that, 
is potentially going on. Uh, another thing um, that I was thinking about with regard to this is, so he's status driven. That's something we have been talking about. And so I think we need to see his lack of status in this world up front. Mm-hmm. So he can have anything he wants that's physical, right? But all he actually wants is what? Is he wants people to send him a lot of messages? He wants people to want to go to the world? You know, he wants people talking about the world he made? Like, how does he experience the status? How does he measure the status? And uh, a related question to that is like, has he ever tasted it? Like, has him and his partner had a small success before that they're trying to build on or, or is it, is he more like the character who has never succeeded? He keeps failing over and over and he just like aims higher each time and never really learns his lesson, uh, which I, I don't know. I kind of lean more toward that, but I, I wonder about, you know, how are we going to show the lack of status? I think, uh, the visitor to his world, the one like the art opening type thing that we were talking about might answer this question actually. Uh, so maybe we've already answered it, but, um, I don't know. I want to make that as real as possible. Like what, how do you actually experience the lack of status? Uh, yeah. So we'll have it. Yeah. Having an art opening totally flop is like, is, is one way, but I think, sure. uh, um, I mean, I, maybe this points back to the idea of, does he live in some sort of community? Right. Does he, um, right. Uh, Right, like who does he spend time with, and if it's a sort yeah, of, and among them, does he have any status? Basically, right? I mean, probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe, or maybe, maybe he has specifically no status among them, or maybe it, it's could be more complicated than that too. Like where there's just a sense that nobody has status in that community, and they're all kind of like self-loathing, and that kind of sort of comes through. Or maybe, <laughs> uh, sure. Or maybe he is like kind of like a big fish in a small pond there, actually. Like ironically, like he's actually kind of doing quite well, but it's sort of again implied that that's it's it's a very small pond, right? Well, it doesn't <laughs> so it, it doesn't please him for some reason. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's I think it's a lot easier to convey that like, you know, inside some community that he's a part of. Right. Um Well, we talked about him maybe having like one fan or something. Uh Right. Yeah, yeah. So like so one fan is almost better than no fans at like conveying the, the sort of like patheticness right like right. i think that yeah uh so i don't know i mean yeah maybe uh, he lives with other people on some some world i mean i think that's the hard thing to sketch out right i mean um yeah i think that's something we're gonna have to talk about in another episode but i agree that might be part of the answer uh and then the last Part of this question is the approach. So, I mean, like you talked about in the story, um, he he goes right to the front door. I think whether or not we show it in our story, he should have inquired about how to get an invite everywhere and gotten stymied doing that, right? So, I mean, maybe he's tried 10 things and this is the last thing he's tried. Uh, maybe we show those things, maybe we don't. I don't know. But I think just for his character to be smart, we want him to feel like, okay, I've failed every other way. I guess the worst that can happen is, you know, I go to their world and I die and I wake up on my home world. And I was even thinking, you know, he doesn't have to just do that once. He could do it many, many, many times, like hundreds or thousands of times going to their, like, to show dedication, you know, a little like the, uh, you know, the old TV show Kung Fu, Mm. where the master tells the little boy, go away, I'm not teaching you Kung Fu. And then he comes back every day and waits. Yeah, 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 totally. 
So, I mean, it could be kind of like that. He could be like, maybe they'll, you know, just really be, you know, into my dedication. And maybe he does it for a thousand nights in a row. And on the thousandth night is the night the guy comes out and says, all right, let's talk. <laughs> you know, because something like that maybe makes, I just want to make him as smart as possible. And I want it to feel like, you know, when he's doing this, he's not doing something stupid. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. And I think that's a problem with the original version. Um, well, and, and the thing is, you can't send an application in the mail, right? There's no inter-world communication. So you have to go to the lobby. Um, and it makes sense that, yeah, he'd have a plan, or at least he would go in, in sort of an exploratory way the first time to just gather information, right? Because, again, that's the only way you can really even contact them all at all is to sort of show up in their lobby, right? Um, unless they didn't have a lobby, right? I mean, then we could make this even harder for him, right? Uh, and say that there is no public lobby, so he has to go through some other route, uh, like hassle his his. Remember? Oh, you remember we talked about? Oh, you know what we forgot about actually, because this relates to your the earlier question about how we show his lack of status, right? Is what? we talked about having a family reunion scene? Right? Oh yeah, <laughs> where he routinely has to like you know get together with people that he's known you know for maybe a hundred years at this point, right? Um, but yeah, it's like so, nothing in common with. Yeah, yeah. So that th that's one another way to show lack of status, but also we were talking about you know maybe there's someone at that uh, family meeting that he realizes has a connection or something that he's trying to. I mean, there, yeah, try. You know, maybe he has to exploit some like tricky social connection to even get into the lobby, right? I mean, we don't necessarily even have to make that easy. Sure. Um. Or, or yeah, or it's easy to get into the lobby, in which case he goes, he researches it, he gets kicked out, and then he decides, yeah, to be persistent is maybe, maybe his, his way to, the way to go, like you're yeah. saying. Yeah, like if the lobby is just like, uh, you are instantiated on the edge of an extremely narrow cliff, and, you know, the first, and you just fall to your death, and then you're immediately ejected or something, um, and then he, you know figures out a trick to like stay alive somehow or something, you know what I mean? And then he notices that there's the desk or I don't know. I could, I think it'd be cool to just sort of visually have him just be dogged um, one way or another. Cool. Yeah. I mean, the lobby could be like a kind of uh, a game that just, that just kills you mercilessly. Right. And like groundhog day uh, or whatever that, right. You know, Tom Cruise version of that, was right the action kill sci-fi one kill repeat or something what did they i don't know what was that movie the that book was is called uh all you need all you need is kill was the name of the book and okay then, that's a funny name but i, th yeah. I, don't, I forget that the title of the movie is when they were live die repeat i think is the name of the movie that they ended up making really it was called i thought i had a more, even more generic yeah, name because i that. think they released it as edge of tomorrow with the tagline live die repeat and then everybody thought live die repeat was the title and then i think they oh edge of tomorrow that's what I thought it was called, I think. Yeah, okay. I think that it's like a situation where the current title is not the theatrical release title. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so yeah, he, like he lives, he dies, he repeats yeah. uh, until eventually he like gets his way through this lobby, right? Um, and, you know, he thinks he's solved it or whatever. And, then, right. you know, someone will finally talk to him. Right. Yeah, so the big questions there are just like, how much do we show before he goes to the lobby and then how many times, or like, how involved is the lobby stuff itself? But yeah, I think that, I like that. I like the idea that he, you know, whether we, whether it's off screen or not, he like, you know, exhausts all 
efforts. And then when he just can't figure out any way in, he's like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to be bold. I think that's cool. And I think for simplicity, it probably is easier if we just make it. I mean, again, I think it's a little more realistic that he might have like a list of five clubs and then like this is the one he gets farther with. But I think for simplicity in storytelling, him being obsessed with this particular club uh, makes the most sense. Yeah, I'm more interested in, I'm more invested in him getting in if it's the one rather than there's just like another. Right, one. and I think I think that just rests on it like personally, you know, uh, again, maybe snubbing him at that opening or... Again, maybe there's a family member that looks down on him that's affiliated with it or some, something personal. Right, about or someone it. just never believing that he could get in or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like he mentions it at dinner and everyone laughs at him or something. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think there's got to be something. This is like a, a point of pride. Uh, it's got to be this one. And uh, yeah. He, yeah. And, and, yeah. And he might as well be as smart as possible and show a lot of. Uh, you know, Moxie right up front. Yeah, I think that just is going to make him a more compelling character, you know? You're going to be more interested to see what he does next. Yeah. Um, No, and I think, like, we can... We can really sort of seem to side with this character, you know, when, you know, maybe he thinks... You know, maybe from his point of view, the the partner is just, like, you know, sort of a hippy-dippy, artsy wishy-washy person right yeah. like and pretentious and, and, uh navel gazing uh you know doesn't want to get outside of his yeah just a community or whatever yeah and the, and the comic can even sort of seem to side with him and then you know later we can flip that on him right when the the partner does shows up doing well or something right, right. like yeah so uh well, he realizes that like he should have never left the partner or something um right. yeah yeah, I think that's good. All right, so this feels good to me. Should we wrap it up here? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, well, can we put maybe something down real quickly in terms of like broad story beats? Just like sort of, we have something sort of concrete to take away from this, right? Sure. Um, because, you know, right now our first story beat is just guy fails at world creation, right? But below that, actually, you brought up something is like, you know, Guy is low status, right? That's something that needs to be conveyed in a very pointed manner, right? right? Um, guy is obsessed with this one. He has to feel one, his low statusness. With this one, yeah. Guy feels his low status. Guy is obsessed with this one club, right? Yeah. Uh, his partnership breaks up. Has difference, uh, has, yeah, breaks up with partner. Yeah, and so we're going to have to sort of start to to dig into the details of, like, how are we going to, like, what's the number of scenes we need to string together to, like, convey all these points in that first part of our story? Right. Uh, and then within applies to club, there's, like, you know, enters lobby and then, like, sort of, like, somehow, like, you know, gets gets past the lobby somehow, right? Right beats lobby level um yeah so yes yeah, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure that out because again i'm not sure because we get you know, we got to keep things interesting off the bat right we could start with like in the middle of the argument you know with the partner yeah um or in the middle of the opening uh, yeah yeah maybe that's the best place to do it actually that might, that might be cool maybe we, yeah. yeah maybe we don't need the opening and the 
that seemed to work. So we'll try doing this sort of a format for a little while, maybe, and um, no promises, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, and if there's know. anything we should be watching that we don't know about, let us know. Yeah, or reading. I, we need looking stuff. for book, comic book, and TV and movie recommendations for sure. Absolutely. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.